Thanks for listening to another episode of Project Zion. This podcast explores the unique spiritual and theological gifts the Restoration offers for today's world. Project Zion is sponsored by the Latter-day Seekers team from Community of Christ. Welcome. I'm Karen Peter, and this is Common Grounds, where we have conversations about the liturgical calendar. So a brief review, if this is your first episode that you've downloaded, through the seasons and holy days of the liturgical calendar or Christian calendar, we relive the story of faith, the birth, life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. In each season of the calendar, we participate with our whole being, our discipleship, through scripture and symbol and color and hymnody. And as we learn more about the liturgical calendar, and as we begin to live it as a spiritual practice, we deepen our understanding of discipleship and what it means to be part of Christian community. Now, the calendar begins four weeks before Easter, with the season of Advent, and then moves through seasons of Christmas, Epiphany, Lent, Easter, Pentecost, and the season after Pentecost, or what we call ordinary time. Today, I'm in the greater Chicago area in Elgin, Illinois, and we're talking about Pentecost with our guest, Blake Smith. Blake is a full-time minister with Community of Christ, He serves in the Office of 70, and he is president of the Chicago Mission Center. So, welcome, Blake. Would you like to tell us a little bit about yourself? Well, sure. Hi, Karen. Um, I am originally from the southeast part of the United States. And um, in 1993, after several years in restaurant business, I took the opportunity to switch to ministry. So, I moved to the Independence Area, youth ministry, Went from that to campus ministry, to pastoring, to mission center president and church planting, and ended here in Chicago. So I'm married and have a couple of wonderful daughters, and I love the beach. That's probably what I miss the most about being in Chicago. Uh, No offense to Chicagoans, but uh, Lake Michigan is not the same as the Gulf Coast. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> well, having visited your uh, the area in which you grew up, I can agree uh, it is not. So, Blake, tell us a little bit about what it meant to switch gears from the restaurant business to ministry. What brought that about? What kind of training did you have? And what did you do to make that shift? Well, I really had, had sensed a call from an early age to be in ministry and just didn't think that would ever happen. So the reality was my training early on was Sunday school. That was pretty much it. Um, I did begin, um, because of that sense of call, I had lived for a year in independence in the restaurant business and, and, uh, felt called to ministry, kind of pursued that while I was around headquarters, um, went back to Pensacola for three years and then started in youth ministry. And it was about two months into youth ministry that I realized the great deficit that I was working under. So I began seminary at St. Paul School of Theology where I received my Master's of Divinity. All right. Um, and so that's that's kind of my background. Okay. 
So your theological education is the MDiv that you have. And when you talk about headquarters, you're talking about Community of Christ headquarters in Independence, Missouri. Absolutely. Okay. So thanks. So we're going to talk about Pentecost, Blake. And I did a little bit of online research about Pentecost to kind of supplement my own um, education in this. And Pentecost, the word, comes from the Greek word Pentecoste, and it actually means 50. So why is that? It begins in the Old Old Testament tradition. In Leviticus, the 23rd chapter, we see reference to um, the Feast of Weeks. And it is uh, 50 days after Passover. And Leviticus 23 actually says, count 50 days after the Passover. So in the early um, Hebrew tradition, that would that would have been the case. The tradition of Pentecost has changed, of course, through the years. It was kind of a harvest festival. It was a celebration of the first fruits of the harvest. Beyond that, it became more of a celebration and recognition of the giving of the law, uh, the Torah, at Mount Sinai. So, and, and then with the New Testament tradition, specifically because of Acts 2, and which refers also back to prophecies of Joel, um, we have the Pentecost tradition, which uh, recognizes and celebrates the hope of the new church. So this tradition of Pentecost, this understanding of Pentecost, you mentioned Old Testament, but then you went to Acts 2. Yes. And whenever we observe Pentecost in the liturgical calendar, we find Acts 2 in the lectionary for Pentecost. So what happens in Acts 2? So in Acts 2, we have the the disciples, the followers of Jesus gathered in a room, and all of a sudden there's the rush of a mighty wind and tongues of fire as flame resting on each person there. And they began to speak the gospel, the witness of Jesus Christ in multiple languages. And they know that because this is a time a gathering um, area, marketplace area, and there are people from many countries, as Acts 2 tells us. And they could all, the, the, the exciting thing was that they could all understand in their language. They were speaking many languages. Now, it wasn't exciting at first because their first reaction was, these men must be drunk. They're, 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 they're talking crazy. But that's where we get Peter then standing up and saying, no, these men are not drunk. It is a bestowing of the Holy Spirit as promised in Joel. And it was actually the opposite of chaos. It was a new form of order. There was this order coming together of being able to speak the witness of the gospel in ways that people could understand. So when I looked at the Community of Christ Worship Helps for June 4th in this year, 2017, that's the day of Pentecost, and I looked to see um, how that was being observed in what we put out in Community of Christ for Congregational Helps. And there was a lot of reference to wind and this mighty wind um, of Pentecost. So how has that then been understand as the manifestation of this experience, of this Holy Spirit experience in the new church? What's the connection there? Well, I think throughout scriptures, we see reference to the Holy Spirit being this breath of new life. And so in our tradition and in the in the general liturgical Christian tradition, this understanding of uh, this thing that we cannot see, but we can feel, we can hear, we can sense, um, we can watch as the wind, for instance, makes things move. 
and the Holy Spirit, when it is within us, it moves disciples to be able to share the witness. And so this real connection of Holy Spirit presence and the analogy, if you will, to the rushing wind. So when we talk about the Holy Spirit in worship, we use symbols to express the Holy Spirit in a variety of ways. So we've talked before on episodes of Common Grounds that it isn't just what we learn through our study of Scripture or through what we hear in the spoken word, but that we experience the liturgical calendar through what we see and what we hear and what we smell and sometimes what we partake of in our worship experience and our discipleship experience. So along with wind, what are other um, ways in which the Holy Spirit is symbolized or expressed as we observe Pentecost? Well, another image of Pentecost and the Holy Spirit is fire, power. It was, again, as we look in Old Testament scripture, the presence of God was recognized by a column of fire or a column of light. And so we get those, um, the presence of the dove in imagery is the presence of God through the Holy Spirit. Um, descending upon us. So those are some of the other images, I think. And so uh, your reference to doing number of things in worship and, and utilizing sounds and tastes and um, images are helpful with us as we, because we recognize that people have different spiritual types. They receive God in different ways. So again, these languages being spoken in ways that Everybody, regardless of their context, could understand in worship when we incorporate those pieces, we again speak to in a language people can understand in way uh, we speak to them in ways they can understand. Some people are visual. Some people are auditory. Um, so not only spiritual types, but learning types. Um, so we would, it's good to use a variety of these images and sounds and smells and tastes to draw in um, a full experience for those who are gathered. So I notice today, as we're talking about Pentecost, you're wearing a red sweater. So I have to ask you, was that intentional? Because I read a lot about color and the color of Pentecost being the color red and that oftentimes congregations observe Pentecost in a kind of community way by everybody wearing something red to church on Pentecost Sunday. Was that intentional today, Blake? I wish I could say it was intentional, Karen. I didn't even realize it until you brought it up. Uh, maybe perhaps it was subconscious to grab the red sweater. But yes, red uh, throughout the seasons of the Christian calendar, as you mentioned, there are different colors associated with the different seasons, the different holidays. And so for Pentecost, the color that's recognized in the liturgical calendar is red. And that symbolizes, again, um, power, uh, the tongues of fire. And we might see that, depending on what tradition we're worshiping in, we might see that in the vestments of the minister, um, the stole that they wear, the drapings on the uh, pulpit or on the communion table, uh, the colors that the choir wears in banners. It just kind of focuses us in on the themes of Pentecost. And we would do that with other seasons as well. For instance, Ordinary Time, which is one of the ones that you mentioned, would be green. Um, and that is not uh, a rest time. It's not uh, ordinary time. It's not a downtime when God is not working anymore. It, it Ordinary simply means through the ordinary steps of life, the ordinary occurrences of life, God is still active and we recognize that. 
Ordinary time is also called the season after Pentecost. And it's interesting that we have Pentecost and this, as you said, bestowing of the Holy Spirit on the church, and then what that means in the lives of disciples as we experience the ministry and message of Jesus going forward. But the term bestowing brought something to my mind as someone raised in this faith tradition of community of Christ, and that is um, it had been a big part of our tradition in one of our sacraments to use language of bestowing the Spirit. Can you talk a little bit about that? Yeah, I think traditionally in the community of Christ uh, or the reorganized Latter-day Saints Church, and growing up, I remember very distinctly that there were two parts. There was the baptism of the water and the baptism of the Spirit, which was confirmation. And there are still places, I think, within the tradition where it is understood as being this bestowing of the Holy Spirit as if um, this is the first time someone might experience it. That is not the understanding of the community of Christ. Confirmation would be a time where um, there is a recognition and acknowledgement of the presence of the Spirit in someone's life, which probably actually brought them to that point um, to want to be baptized, to make that confession of faith. Um, so it's an acknowledgement of what already exists. We in the community of Christ tradition would believe that God and the Holy Spirit are present in all things at all times. So it's not something that just happens on a particular day, but it's an acknowledgement and a recognition. Just like I think in Acts 2, God was not absent until that moment. Um, Jesus had told us, the kingdom is here, God is present, um, and I am with you always. Uh, but it was an acknowledgement and a recognition of something that was already present. And so our confirmation now is understood differently as a tradition, that it is not that moment in time where all of the sudden you have the power of the Holy Spirit, but that we confirm the presence of the Spirit, which is already there. So in Acts 2, that Pentecostal experience that the disciples uh, were a part of and that the people from so many cultures observed. In, in our tradition, in fact, in the broader uh, restoration tradition, we had our kind of Pentecostal experience and having been assigned in the Kirtland, Ohio area, uh, Blake, I think probably you and, and your family have a little bit more um, personal understanding of what that Pentecostal experience was in the life of the church. So can you share that a little bit about that with us? So just briefly, yes, in, in the Kirtland era, and specifically in the Kirtland Temple, there was this... Uh, outpouring of the Spirit, uh, an endowment of the Spirit, if you will, and I don't, that of course has its own um, definitions and meanings, but it was a time where, um, and it was a place where people came to receive this outpouring of the Holy Spirit to go out to the world in mission. It was a, a sending forth, a commissioning, if you will, that took place um, in that space. It was interesting when I moved to Kirtland in the early 2000s, um, there was actually, uh, I don't know how long the movement had been, but tr kind of a discouragement actually to see the temple, the Kirtland temple as the only place that could happen. So you didn't have to come to the temple for this Pentecostal experience to receive the spirit again in line with where we are 
generally as the community of Christ, God is in all things in all places. We don't have to go to one spot to receive the Spirit. But it was very important in the foundational moments and days of the church, I believe. In the community of Christ Temple in Independence, Missouri, we have quite a lot of symbolism. And one of the symbols that's repeated in the architecture and the decor of the temple is the symbol of the dove. And we've talked a lot about the dove being the symbol of peace, and the temple is dedicated to peace, reconciliation, and healing of the spirit. The dove is also a symbol that's used to describe the Holy Spirit and is often seen in banners that we put up in the church for Pentecost. I think it's interesting that the dove is both the symbol of peace and the symbol of the spirit. What might that say to us as disciples preparing to observe Pentecost together in community of Christ? Well, just as a quick aside, what you bring up about the dove being both peace and Holy Spirit um, is very interesting because it there is some thought that the reason why traditions like ours have been so hesitant or had been hesitant in the past to bring in the Christian calendar and specifically the Pentecost is because Pentecost has been associated with this chaos, this um, just outpouring of the Spirit where everything just goes crazy and people are speaking otherworldly languages and things like that. And again, as I mentioned earlier, it really was a place of bringing um, comfort and peace and understanding in a way people could understand. So these multiple languages weren't chaos, they were actually order. And so um, we see references to, especially after Jesus' baptism, for instance, the descending of the Holy Spirit like a dove, this peaceful, um, calming presence that also empowers us for mission. So it's not just calm, make us feel good. We now have the Spirit and we're, you know, we're in a good place and now we're just on our way to heaven. It's there's two sides to it. Yes, it is a calming, but to help us to receive what it is we need to be sent disciples, as Jesus has told us. So in Community of Christ, that's a very important aspect of our identity, our community, is that we're simply not gathered for us, but we gather in a way that welcomes and provides hospitality to others, and that we go forth and share in the world. So that understanding of the dove and peace and Pentecost and how that empowers us. What does that look like then for us as disciples, as communities of faith, as we embark on this observation of Pentecost and the acknowledgement of the spirit within us and within others and how it uh, unites and brings peace? What does that look like for us in our discipleship if if I'm wanting to experience Pentecost as a discipleship formation exercise in this season of the Christian calendar. What does that say to the church and to me as an individual? I remember uh, in seminary being introduced to this idea of Pentecost and the themes of hope and renewal and recreation and the fact that, again, in the Acts 2 scripture, um, there is a side of this Scripture that's not just about speaking other languages, but the importance of contextualizing and bringing, um, and we see actually in Doctrine and Covenants 163 from the, um, 
words of President Vesey that this is lived out contextually in local congregations. And it's not only language, it's cultural differences. We have a variety of different cultures um, that we are part of community with. So this understanding and, and what it means for the church is trying to understand the importance of that diversity and that this message is for everyone. This message of love and hope and peace and reconciliation and healing of the spirit is not just for those who gather in the four walls of a church in a particular place, but it is this incredible message. So I, again, in, in seminary, when I was like, why don't we in the community of Christ really blow out the walls on this Pentecost celebration? Because it really says a lot about to who we are. It really relates to us with this, again, contextualization, with this God-empowered um, mission to the world. So it's, it takes us, it, it leads us um, down the path to understanding our, our thoughts about salvation. Uh, whereas in contrast to others, it's in a lot of traditions, it's about a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. And we would believe that um, if you are not saved, then I am not saved. I have not achieved salvation because it's not about me. It's about community. And so, again, we get that image in Acts 2 of the importance of this being for everyone in community. And it's not just about what I know or what I learn or what I feel but how that message is shared with the world and how we interact with one another intentionally in ways that everyone can hear it how they need to hear it. So as you were sharing that about salvation, the image that went through my mind was um, the Holy Spirit fluttering or hovering above all of creation as, as God's divine work established order in what became our created world and that that spirit hovered and was present at that time hovered and was present over Jesus at baptism descended uh, empowered as a wind that blows at Pentecost and continues to empower disciples to go forth in in God's purposes in the world or community of Christ we would say in Christ's mission yes and that's another piece of where this Pentecost and some of the underlying themes go so well with who we are as a community of Christ, because it acknowledges that God is still at work in the world and is here and with us and abiding with us and walking with us and encouraging us, sometimes pulling us <laughs> or pushing us. But it's not something that happened in the past. It is, and it's not a one-time thing. This Pentecostal experience, recognition of the abiding spirit within us and that God is still active is so uh, resonant with the community of Christ. So in community of Christ, as you've served in lots of different areas, and as you said, you were brought up in the southeast U.S., how have you seen Pentecost observed in congregational life? Well, the truth is, Karen, that uh, in my early years, I don't really remember. It wasn't until being in seminary in the late 90s that I really was introduced to the idea of Pentecost. And some of that comes with cultural understandings of what was most important for the church to teach at the times. Part of it was that we, I think, as a denomination, there might have been pockets of places that were observing traditional Christian calendar, but it wasn't in... It wasn't everywhere. 
And so I don't really remember. I, I couldn't say, oh, I have these childhood memories of Pentecostal celebrations. I would not go fa- so far as to say we didn't acknowledge Pentecost. It just didn't have that sense of, of importance and prominence um, that I would think it might may ought to have just because of those connections that I already spoke about. So I remember Advent. Of course, we celebrate, everybody celebrates Christmas and Easter. Those are, those are easy. I remember kind of Advent coming into and beginning to see Advent wreaths and that kind of, um, those, those things. Pentecost has still, I think, in the places where I have served at least, um, been slow to enter the picture. So I don't think, even in the mission center where I serve now, there is a universal sense of importance of celebrating these milestones in the Christian calendar. But I think we ought to move even more toward that. I I think there's such importance in discipleship, in understanding our connection to this common story and understanding not only, again, that this is just some story in the scriptures, whether it was literal or actual or true or not, the power that it has for us in understanding, again, that God is active, God is present, that um, it's not just for um, a select few to receive, but God empowers all disciples, members, priesthood, newly visiting persons who are seeking discipleship to be a part of this journey of sharing the message of Christ, the mission of Christ. So a lot of our congregations where our listeners participate uh, have children in those congregations. Yay! So you've shared a lot about what Pentecost could mean in congregational life, disciples' life. How would you explain Pentecost to children, or how might we observe it in a way that children could understand? Well, I think as we talked earlier about the use of images and sounds and smells, so there might be object lessons. I think we need to be intentional about those things for our age groups. And when we were talking about contextualization earlier, we have been pretty good at, at least in the last couple of decades, in creating um, lesson plans that contextualize by age group different pieces of the Christian story or about our tradition or that kind of thing. We need to do the same thing in worship or in our teaching with children. So I think when I think of Pentecost and how would I do that? I might um, get take them on a kite flying mission and talk about what it is that keeps the kites up and and why you know and, and why they are carried on the wind and and how they fulfill their purpose when they are lifted by the wind or even closer the to take balloons and I would use red balloons of course for Pentecost because I'm I want to be <laughs> I want to be in line no. I, so we use a, a balloon. Visual, it would be a great yeah. visual yeah. to have the balloon and have the balloon deflated and talk to the children about what is this and what is its purpose and what would we use it for and that kind of thing and what is it missing. But when we breathe air into it, when we breathe life into it, then the balloon is able to more better fulfill its mission. And just as as Jesus said in or is recorded to have said in the Gospel of John. He breathed on the disciples and said, receive the spirit. It's another reference to breath and wind. Um, and so when we fill the balloon, so in images, in tangible ways that children 
can understand. And, and now what can this balloon do now that it has been filled? And then talk about uh, perhaps even stories of relationship where the importance of the presence of particular people and influences in their life, things that they can understand and, can, and how important it is that you have this relationship, that you are with this person and you know they are there for you. The same is true with God. One of the um, most interesting aspects of how Pentecost can be observed in a way that is life-giving was in some of the research that you and I embarked on before this episode. And we learned about something called Holy Ghost Holes, which (laughs) I had never heard of before. But as you were sharing about these images for children and, and what's missing and what brings life, I thought about those uh, Christians in the Middle Ages, a time of darkness and uh, death and despair, and the images of the Holy Ghost that were used to lift their spirits. You want to share a little bit about that? Yeah, I, I too found it a little humorous at first. We have to be careful this saying Holy Ghost holds. Try to say that three times fast. But, you know, in the Dark Ages, in the Middle Ages... There was this sense of desperation and lack of hope, and the cathedrals um, in those times were a gathering point. They were a place of hope. It was. It provided jobs. It provided hope. There were markets surrounding this because it took lots and lots of people to build these. Well, in the building of these cathedrals, they would have um, trapdoors, if you will, in the domes of the cathedrals. And somebody on the Pentecost Sunday, as, as at least the, the research says, would have to climb up on the dome, whoever was the unlucky one, um, to climb up on the dome and at the appropriate time to open this Holy Ghost hole, which was a, uh, basically a trap door again in, in the dome, but to let in this, um, flock, if you will, of doves representing this very tangible, visual expression of the presence of the Holy Spirit pouring out on the people, hovering over the people, being present with the people. Uh, one of the sites even said, uh, in the research said, that the choir boys might make whooshing sounds or drumming sounds to, to create that wind feel and effect, to, again, to engage all of the senses. And then they would, after the doves were in, they'd close the door, and then they would open them again. And when they opened them again, rose petals would fall down on the congregation. And that was symbolic of the tongues of fire the, the resting on the people. So, again, a very tangible, visible way. And I could just imagine the excitement of the children Oh my gosh, you know, the awe that comes. Now, there are probably some people covering their head going, Oh no, here come the doves. But children, we can learn so much from them, would just have a sense of awe. The power of that kind of imagery is really exciting. It is exciting. And having this conversation with you makes me excited for the Sunday of Pentecost and the experience that we will have together in community as we observe God's Spirit moving amongst us. Uh, in the church, friends of the church, our sisters and brothers in Christian community, and in fact, as we talked about, all of creation as God's Spirit moves and blesses and empowers us. I have uh, a poem that, actually it's a prayer that was written 
um, by a female minister from the Episcopalian tradition. Her name is Patricia Clark. And uh, I'm going to end our conversation with that, Blake. So I'd like to thank you for participating. Thank you. It was uh, exciting to just kind of refresh and go back and look at all and remember the excitement of this particular moment on the Christian calendar and what it could mean for us as a people. Thank you. This is called Hymn to the Holy Spirit. Spirit moving over chaos, bringing light where there was none. Be to us a light revealing where the work is to be done. Praise to God among us dwelling. Praise the Spirit giving light. Breath instilling animation, giving life, informing soul. Breathe into this congregation life that makes the body whole. Praise to God among us dwelling. Praise the Spirit giving life. Wind inflaming fear-filled bodies, sending them to tell the news. Fire anew your church's spirit. Show the path we ought to choose. Praise to God among us dwelling. Praise the Spirit giving fire. Power, life force, inspiration, blowing, breathing, brooding here. Call, enliven, and empower for your work, both far and near. Praise to God among us dwelling. Praise the Spirit giving strength. Amen. Again, thanks, Blake, for visiting with us about Pentecost as that fast approaches um, in our expression of discipleship and our life in the church following the liturgical calendar. Again, I'm Karen Peter, and this is Common Grounds, a part of the Project Zion podcast series. Our next episode on the liturgical calendar will be the season after Pentecost or Ordinary Time. Thanks so much for listening. The views expressed in this episode are of those speaking and do not necessarily reflect the official views of the Latter-day Seekers team or of Community of Christ. The music has been provided by Ben Howington. You can find his music at mormonguitar.com. Mormon